Good evening, everyone. Mark Krawczyk here, the producer of the Spoiler Room podcast, as well as the host. Tonight's episode is about The Tingler. Yes, a classic film starring Mr. Vincent Price. Now, this film is known to be very scary, and during the discussion of The Tingler, you may start to feel a sensation crawling up your spine. It may grow as the discussion continues, and fear may overcome you. You may feel a tightness in your chest, and something squeezing your spine, almost crushing it. Fear not, my friends. The cure for this condition is simple. Just scream. Scream as loud as you can while listening to this podcast, and that sensation will go away, and you can continue to hear our crew talk about this film. We appreciate you listening to our podcast, and also like to remind you that the Spoiler Room podcast is not responsible for those who may die of fear while listening to this show. We thank you for your support and hope you enjoy the listen. The 1950s, America and Korea were at war. The space race took off with the launch of Sputnik. Yes, welcome, my friends, to the another special. It came from the 50s here in the Spoiler Room. Thank you for coming down the stairs and pulling up a chair to hear us talk about the classic 1959 Vincent Price film, The Tingler. Now, with me tonight is a great crew that is assembled to talk about this classic film. First off, he's back in the Spoiler Room, our BFD himself, Mr. Glenn Bittner. Hello, Glenn. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing well. Glad you could be in. Yeah, I don't care. I love you, I love you too, man. All right. And next to, <laughs> next to Glenn is the lovely Mr. Andrew Shearer. Hello, Andrew. You're starting to become a regular here in the spoiler room. That's because I eat Raisin Bran, homie. Okay, uh, Raisin Bran. There you go. That makes uh, me all type of regular. <laughs> yeah. Raisin Brad makes you regular. Uh, uh, it really so. cancels itself out with the raisin. Don't shit happen. Literally. Yeah, it's kind of a circular thing where you put the peanut butter, strap it to the back of a cat, and when you drop it, it always lands on its feet, but it always lands on peanut butter side down, so it just kind of spins in the air. No? Damn, man. That, was that, would such be, a that would be my number joke. two choice for an anecdote. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that, was, that was such a dad joke. I'm old. And next to the lovely Andrew Shearer is Scotty D. He's in the his house. Hello, Scotty D. I'm not lovely? You are always lovely, but you're Thank Scotty D. Okay, but I just want to make dope sure. Rain, Scotty D. <laughs> I just want to make just want just wanting to clarify, just for the record and everything. You know, you're, I I keep always here. Like, I, I took my anti-anxiety pills so I wouldn't get too scared about the movie. I took my LSD because I understand <laughs> that that's a important part of this film experience. So. It's a way I'm to ready. communicate with hot dogs. I'm ready. It's, it's a way to talk. communicate with hot dogs. Absolutely, and uh, I'm great to commit to the show. Well, <laughs> I admire your commitment, and you will always be our baby spice, Scott. So. Yeah, I love being baby spice. <laughs> <laughs> and next to him, she has returned to the spoiler room after a long hiatus. She has been quite busy. 
namely working on a film recently. She is back with us. Filmmaker Tanya Atomic is here with us tonight in the spoiler room. Welcome back, Tanya. You have been missed. Hello, I'm back. Glad and I'm have... and I'm tingled. You're tingled. <laughs> is it a French tingler though? That's what it is, you know. But anyway, so the tingler. <laughs> 1959, Vincent Price. And uh, let's see. Uh, hey, Scott, you want to give the summary for The Tingler? I did The Phantom, God damn. Oh, you did do the, That's true. You did do The Phantom. Okay, I can no, do The Tingler. Okay. It's okay. I'm no, no, sure I can you can. I can do yeah, I can, I can tingle all over you people. Yeah, okay. um, so, <laughs> so the, you do it so well, Scott. I, 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 I do send the tingles. Anyway, but uh, okay, so. The film opens up, and we discover that Vincent Price, who also handles uh, apparently uh, all the autopsies for the entire tri-state area, uh, <laughs> is also uh, heavily involved in research, uh, theorizing that when people die of extreme fright, there is a creature that may manifest itself that is killed by – that manifests itself at the moment of fear – and is destroyed at the moment when people scream. He actually is. He then meets uh, somebody who has. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll get to the plot and everything about it. But uh, basically, he finds that he is mar- that this person is married to a woman who cannot uh, hear or speak. Since she cannot verbalize her scream, he is able through her to discover that yes, there is such a creature. But the creature is only part of the evil goings-on in this movie in which seemingly everybody wants to kill everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well said. Well said. Yeah, this film, you know, I remember first watching it and watching it now again years later, I'm like, Holy crap, this is a dark film. <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't remember this. I remember the creature, you know, and William Castle coming out, but actually now paying a little bit more attention now that I'm older and, well, not wiser, but older. I'm like, wow, okay. This Vincent, man, uh, different, a little bit of different role for him. Not quite. Tanya, we'll start with you, though. Uh, you remember when you watched The Tingler? Well, when I very first saw it, um, it was a few years ago, I actually found out about the movie because I had seen, I am a fan of John Waters, and mm-hmm. he did an art show in Seattle where he, um, it was oh, so cute. I mean, he's so funny, and he's so clever. He had one of his, um, he had made these dioramas and had these photos that he'd done, and one of his dioramas was called Ben's Drive-In, and okay. um, it was like a diorama of a drive-in screen playing the movie Ben, you know, about the rats, the sequel right. to Willard. And um, in the slots, you know, where the little cars would drive in was a, were rat traps. <laughs> and But they're like the metal kind. And then mm-hmm. like rubber rats were butts were hanging out. It was so funny. So funny. But anyway, he had a um, panel of photos that I guess he used to take pictures of movie screens or of the TV screens or something like that. And he had one of the Tingler and it was like a series of photos of, um, you know, like the Tingler coming out or coming toward someone or something. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> I've never heard of that movie. I have to see this. It looks crazy. And um, so I saw it and like, and I 
the same thing. I felt the same way. I remembered, um, you know, the creature mm-hmm. and I remembered like some of the gimmicky stuff and William Castle talking and stuff like that. But I didn't remember, yeah, like how dark it was. Like one of the things that impressed me when I watched it again was I love the dialogue between Vincent Price and his wife. And they obviously hate each other and have this uh, like yeah. long standing animosity. And like the, the dialogue was so biting and so dark. It was like an unfunny Lockhorns or something. But it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> and yeah, and it was, it was a different, um, I don't know why I kind of forgot about that or whatever, but yeah, it was like a little bit different than what I was expecting and that what I had seen from Vincent Price before. I liked it. Yeah. That's what caught me was the role, the way he was playing this. He actually plays it a little straighter than some of the roles we recognize him in as being a little bit more macabre or a little bit over, you know, but this one he's playing, he's playing a little bit different. At least it felt like it. Uh, Andrew, how about you with the tingler when you saw it? Manuel, this is the first horror movie I ever watched all the way through. Really? Wow. Yeah, sure. Well, that's why I wanted to do this, man. I got family. I got, there's a lot of family connections with the Tingler. We'll talk about it a little bit later and, uh, when we get to the gimmick part of it. Got a little special story to tell. Ooh. But, uh, yeah, yeah, man. My, my pops was a, um, had seen it originally when he was a kid and, um, he was a fan of like the 13 ghosts and the house of hunt. He was like, he just had like really good memories of going to see him and shit. So, I was scared of everything when I was a kid. I did not want to watch any horror movie at all. <laughs> and he was like the biggest horror fan ever. So he was like, look, this one, you'll, it's funny. It's so dumb. It's not scary at all. You'll just laugh the whole time. Wait till you see the monsters. Shit looks like, like some barbecue ribs with legs. And so I'm like, all right, <laughs> we got to watch it, you know, in the middle of the day with the lights on and everything. And I just try to be brave and. Yeah, I ended up like really liking it. So this was my first experience with a horror movie like ever. Wow. wow. That's yeah. cool, man. And then he went and told me the story about going to see it and the shit they would do. And we'll talk about that later. But yeah, it was, yeah, he, he got me like hyped to do it. So yeah, ended up being like my, yeah, my first horror I ever saw. That is so cool. And not, not exactly a bad one to have as your first horror film, in all honesty. No, uh, no. Then I, I experimented later and I, I, I was like, I can watch black and white horror movies. So <laughs> while they were gone, I put on uh, Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> oh, that was a bit of a They're coming to get you, Andrew. <laughs> Dude, they got me. I was, that was a mistake from like a motherfucker. <laughs> and Glenn, how about you with the tingler? Uh, the first time I actually saw it was in the theater. Um, it was, uh, which theater? It was the, the times, the times. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of fun. They even had the little thing rigged up with the seats and stuff like Aww. that. So yeah, it was really cool. Um, and that was only a few years ago. So, um, I mean, I'd always heard about it. I just never seen it. And then I rewatched it, uh, probably about a year or so ago, and then last week. So mm-hmm. um, Vincent Price, I, lo- I love Vincent Price, um, which is surprising that I hadn't seen this earlier. But it's a nifty little movie. Yeah, it it is a nice, it, it's not a huge scope of a movie by any means, but uh, it it is a nifty little movie. And, and that part of the uh, 
appeal, I think, is, of course, William Castle's doing. This was his return to uh, was it Columbia Pictures is where he came back. And I think he made this was the first one he made with his own production company, too. Uh, so, you know, it, William Castle, if you're not familiar with him, folks, you're you're missing out, really, mm-hmm. <laughs> with some of the stuff he he has done. Uh, Scotty D, what about you? Well, the thing about William Castle movies with me was probably that I was more peripherally, uh, if that's the right word, um, aware of them than actually seeing them for the longest time. Uh, 13 Ghosts, I heard about on an Entertainment Tonight uh, story and then didn't see the movie for like 10, 15 years. Uh, the House on Haunted Hill, they used to air uh, ads for it on Cinemax during the day, and I didn't see it for for like 20 years because I was scared of horror films. The Tingler was something where there was a book of movie monster stuff. I don't think it was the Donald Glute book, mm-hmm. but I think it's actually a book that I also got from a school book club <laughs> because it was also because it reminded me of the Don Glute book, and it would basically list all these cr- monsters and. Even though I had, I was too much of a chicken to see any of the movies yet, I knew about the monsters. Oh, there's Frankenstein, King Kong, the Wolfman. Yep, oh, they're trying to be newer, so yep, there's the Terminator. Okay. And then, like, the Tingler? What the <laughs> hell is the Tingler? And I was, like, reading this, and I was like, really? They actually wired the seats? And I was really amazed by it, and I promptly was really interested in this movie and promptly didn't see it for another two decades. <laughs> just like the others. I don't know why. Uh, it wasn't that I didn't want to see them. It's just that I didn't get to them. And then probably like within a, a five-year period, I just started uh, seeing as many William Castle things as I could. And very impressed. Very impressed because, yes, there's the gimmick. But in this one, more than any of the other movies that I had seen of William Castle, and there's still a few I haven't, um, it really seemed like the gimmick was secondary to what was going on in the background. Mm-hmm. So it really felt like, okay, we're throwing the gimmick in here, but honestly, we already have enough of a movie going on. <laughs> so, you know, it really feels like, oh yeah, and here's the scene. But then the rest of it is already going on. And as I mentioned in the synopsis, there's the Tingler. And then there's all the other horrible people in the movie. And (laughs) the thing about this film that was really interesting. And, you know, I think uh, William Castle loved his gimmicks, but he also loved being the showman. And he also and he loved being the person who gets on the screen. I think part of that, I think his two loves that come from that are evident in this film. One, his love of showmanship. He loved being the showman. And two, his love of Hitchcock. Oh, yeah. His love of Hitchcock real... I mean, it would be further explored in films like Homicidal, Straight Jacket. But this one, you really got to see, oh, yeah, his he his love of Hitchcock is on full here. It did. I'm glad you mentioned that because it was kind of bugging me. I'm like, God, this feels like a, a you know another director's movie. The style, what is it? Now that you mentioned Hitchcock, it just clicks. You know, there's a but, few that he did like that were similar to that. I think, yeah. I think Macabre was like that too. But honestly, I don't think I've seen Macabre yet, so I can't can't really say for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the gimmick uh, spectral where they wired up the seats and uh, they would vibrate them randomly when uh, the Tingler showed up. 
uh, which which is a great gimmick because you 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 never knew which you know which seat you were going to sit in at first. And uh, apparently, he came up with a few different ideas for it. But you get that warning in the beginning. I just love how he comes on the screen and he starts talking to get, warning people and saying it's okay to scream during a horror film. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically what he's saying. Right. Um, you, you know, and then you see too. If you look online, you find out they had like a uh, a death certificate that you could sign <laughs> or you could get. It was a replica of of the one that you see in the movie at one point when the uh, <laughs> when the one uh, the mute woman is is kind of going through her thing. But yeah, this film I've, I was impressed. It opens with a guy on death row, and that's how uh, after he's killed, we get to see Vincent Price and. I just get this kick out of he's a mortician. He's he's sitting there with this guy's brother-in-law, is it, I think? And he just starts carving on the guy while this family is sitting there. In true Vincent style, too. He's just like, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's like, what the hell? The way this film opens, man, Glenn, what'd you think about this this first intro with our Dr. Chapin? I thought it was perfectly normal. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, the conversation they have, though, I mean, he's carving up his, his relative, and he's just like, oh, yeah, oh, well, you know, hey, you know, you want to go for a beer? <laughs> Dude, it was the 50s. Yeah, that's true. It's just, that's just normal. People didn't have emotions until 1977. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> then Annie Hall and, and, and the Millennium Falcon both got together and... <laughs> Open people's hearts up to joy. <laughs> exactly. People learned how to love. <laughs> no true emotion. But I, I, what, watching this whole film, he's playing a little bit more of the straight man, isn't he, Andrew, in this? Vincent Price's than maybe what we kind of used to seeing a little more macabre him? No, I don't think so, man. No, <laughs> no I mean... If anything, he was probably worried about playing another mad scientist type of guy. Mm-hmm. And as far as being kind of a dark, semi-sinister married guy who batters around with his wife, that you know they both want each other day, just did that in House on Haunted Hill, you know. Yeah, so that's I true. think there's probably more similarity. I don't think there's a whole lot of unusual like mm-hmm. like that about this movie necessarily. I guess I'm used to him being more. Uh... Most of the films that I've seen, you know, of his or whatnot, he's a little more in costume or uh, just a little bit more uh, theatrical. This one, at least when we first see him, he, he seems to play it a little bit like just, you know, a average everyday guy who likes to carve up dead people. No, you're right. I mean, he was just one step away from breaking out some chips and salsa on top of somebody's rib cage and shit. You know? <laughs> I get you. I see what you're saying. You know, did, just, go ahead. Oh, I did get the feeling um, watching it like. It, or is he supposed to be the good guy? Or is he supposed to root for him? Or is he supposed to be the bad guy? There was a sort of ambiguity about him. Like he never really did anything that bad, but there were moments that were really questionable. Um, so I thought that was interesting about his character and how how he played that. He kind of played, it was normal to him. But yep. some of the things that were going on were kind of, you know, outlandish or dark. He did have that dark side. He made you wonder his motivation, which which leads you to later on when you get to the deaf mute lady and what's happening to her. There is that kind of uh, enigma for a while of who's actually doing that scary stuff to her to try to frighten her. 
So I think it, it's a good setup with his the way his character is that I think William wanted you to have that enigma uh-huh. uh, because of that. You know what what set, it sets it up for later on because. Yeah, and then it being Vincent Price, he plays it with just enough darkness so you could go, yeah, I could see maybe it was him. Uh-huh. Scott, do you think they uh, set that enigma up well with uh, Vincent's character so you're not quite sure about him? You had – they wanted to make you guess the whole time because your expectation uh, for his character, uh, particularly with the uh, other films he's done, especially the the one he had just done with uh, William Castle, House on Haunted Hill – your expectation is he's going to be sinister and he's going to be the instrument of evil and diabolical stuff. And so when you see that the film keeps you guessing up to the end, and there's even a point where he turns and says, no, we're not going to use, well, I'm not, not going to write a single essay about this creature. I'm not going to do anything because Yes, it would be a huge win for me, but it would be a horrible, horrible development if this was were discovered. I think it was was casting against type. The funny thing about Vincent Price is, and I love Vincent Price, keep in mind. I love him because it didn't matter if he was approaching Shakespeare or if he was approaching something like Dr. Fibes. He brought the same level of class to it, whether it was serious or whether it was camp. And he was always aware of what the level was. Mm-hmm. And I was really appreciate that about him. But the thing about Vincent Price is that – and you can actually hear this. You can actually hear uh, him – there are audio recordings where he gives cooking instructions. <laughs> and when he gives cooking instructions, he sounds like he's about to kill you <laughs> <laughs> because he's Vincent Price. <laughs> so he just had this thing. You know, it's great because he's actually played very ineffectual people. Just watch um excellent classic movie. Uh, and I'm sure some people here have seen it. Uh, Laura. Mm-hmm. Uh, early, right. role, early role for him. Very different type of role. And you know, completely different type of character. So I think that anybody who saw Laura would, uh, and then saw him 10 years later would have been like, oh, well, that's a big difference. Anybody who saw his other stuff first and then watched Laura would say, like, he's still a bit creepy, ain't he? <laughs> <laughs> he just can't help it. It's like this, he had this sense of elegance but it was like very a uh, sinister elegance so uh i think this was a different type of heart for him and rather than make him a total good guy or a total bad guy it really ha- the film really kept you guessing until the end mm-hmm. and you could even you can even uh make the argument that the film doesn't actually let you know for sure if he's a good guy or a bad guy till the end but um this uh but I think it was a stretch. I think it was meant to keep people guessing because as much as William Castle was about the gimmicks, he was about the whole con about yeah. filmmaking. And filmmaking is a con. It's totally manipulative. It's totally <laughs> manipulative. Hosting what? the thing. It is. No, yeah, yeah, you, I mean, got like, three, you got three filmmakers in this room. And they all, <laughs> they all are probably aware, like, yes, y- yes, I'm manipulating. I want you. I am hoping that you feel this way. And so they're always twisting and turning. And he kept these movies moving like a maze where you didn't know what was going on. In House on Haunted Hill, you didn't know what was real and what wasn't. 
in the tingler you don't know where who's going to turn and who's not you know it keeps going like that so and i think he delighted in that and he knew that's what made an effective horror film yeah it, it... And it is evident in here he's keeping you guessing, and you're right. It it, it actually is effective in this film. I, I find it hard to believe after watching it again. Uh, it, pardon me for bringing this into it, but I saw a, clip, uh, a quote or something on IMDb that says, this film made it into the uh, Razzies creator's 50 best worst oh. films Well, ever. fuck them. It, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like sitting there going, you know, I, yeah, the effects are a bit cheesy because they're on low budget, but I, man, those scenes with Vincent and, uh, you know, the, his wife, uh, Isabel played by Patricia Cutts. Man, those scenes are some hardcore scenes. Right. The, the Razzies have always been just tabloid, uh, very sanctimonious, pompous, sniveling things, masquerading as satire. Their first award, cer- their first award ceremony, they nominated Stanley Kubrick as worst director. They're, I, and the, ever since then, they've just gotten more and more tabloid. They have no credibility whatsoever in <laughs> yeah. my book. But Patricia Cuts and Vincent gets uh, gets some fun scenes. But there are three uh, female characters in here: uh, Isabel Stevens Chapman, played by Patricia Cuts, as we mentioned, who plays the the uh, 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 wife uh, who has as many barbs out for her husband as her husband does for her. Then you have her sister, played by Pamela Lincoln, who is. Uh, uh, kind of the exact opposite. She's the good girl. And then we have Judith Evelyn playing the, uh, I believe she plays the um, mute and deaf woman. And Andrew, it's a fifties. Now we're talking late fifties, but what did you think of the three female characters written in this? Well, they're all white ladies. So <laughs> definitely the fifties. Well, it is the fifties. The entire cast is. <laughs> and while we're saying fuck stuff, I do have to say fuck the fifty. I'm just not one of these white people that thinks the fifties were great. You know, I know a lot of people that do. You know, sure. Like, hey, let's listen. This let's listen to this, the Brian Setzer, and you know, they'll they'll be racist. And I'm like, oh, well. <laughs> you know. Oh, a hot rod and, and there, there, only. There, there is an argument to be made that maybe like Brian Setzer was hoping, okay, let's bring this element back, but not this other oh. element. <laughs> just to give uh, Brian the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> I'm just being, you know, about about the fifties enthusiasts. But no, but uh I like um I thought I'm very I remember being very struck by uh by um Ollie's wife there. Uh, mm-hmm. Judith Evelyn, I I think she might have been like she might have done a play with Vincent Price, and that's where they found her. She just doesn't seem like a like a regular movie actor. William Castle always had a knack for finding some very very interesting faces, you know, to put in front of the camera, along with the ones that would bring in obviously, you know, the younger ones for to get the younger audiences in and shit. So I like I thought they were all very different. You know, you mm-hmm. don't you don't want them to all like being that they are all white people. You want them <laughs> to stand out different from each other. So I I felt like they did. Yeah, Judith, especially because she she doesn't have any dialogue, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, she does sign language, but she's like um, a silent movie, basically, like watching a silent. I thought it was cool that they made um, them have a silent movie theater because her performance looks like like right out of a silent movie. Yeah, yeah, I noticed too. Her performance was a little bit more stylized, mm-hmm. which I thought I actually thought that were. I mean, it could pull someone out of the film, but for me, it worked. 
Um, it, there, it brought this like kind of, I don't know, almost dance like quality, like, like an artistic like quality to some of her when she was going through some of her horror moments, which actually mm-hmm. I found more eerie because of that. Yeah, it is creepy when she gets when when she gets her scare on and she can't scream and there's the thing in the mask and the window opening and all that. Yeah, the expressions she has on her face are actually didn't pull me out. It was more creepy because she couldn't scream. You're you're feeling for her because she can't scream. She can't say, "Hey, what's this weird shit happening in my apartment?" <laughs> hey, you know how they did that black and white with the color? You're gonna oh bug yeah, out. listen yeah. to this. Y'all know how they did it. Yep, go ahead. You can tell our folks, but yeah. yeah well, I, if you already know, fuck it. I'm going to say No, I can tell <laughs> People out there don't know. Come on, drop some knowledge, Andrew. Mm, they, they painted the room and painted her black and white and shot it on color film. <laughs> it's my one of my favorite parts of this movie. No, you... Yeah, I actually you, didn't know that. <laughs> oh, really? I'm glad you brought it up, Andrew, because I knew that a while ago. That Yeah, they, the, the, the scene where they have the red color, they actually painted that black and white and put painted the Painted her black and white, too. They scared yeah. her so much, she lost all her color. <laughs> That's interesting, because I thought there was a little bit of rear projection going on, because it looked grainier. It looked shitty, it yeah. very grainy, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, because it was different stock, and then they, I guess, had trouble inserting That makes it sense, it's different stock. Yeah, they had to insert it into the the footage, and so it. Uh, William Castle's cheap ass probably just got some some short ends out of the garbage. Yeah, <laughs> I, all the parts are. are Poor guy kept hard. having to load the film every two minutes. Yeah, damn it. Ah, damn it. <laughs> well, and why can't y'all use a crayon? <laughs> what for the scene? No, the whole movie. Right? It's the whole movie. <laughs> Glenn, how'd you feel about the female characters in this? I know the guy, you know, Vincent Price and his his assistant and all that, but how'd you feel about the three principal female characters in here? The only um, meh, meh. <laughs> um, I mean, nothing special about them. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Were they? I mean, it- do you think maybe they fit a little more of the stereotype of the 50s characters? Because you've watched some of the other 50s movies with us now, and we've seen kind of an array of different female characters in these sci-fi films. Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, I did like I did like the bit of the... I don't know if you'd call it chemistry between Vincent Price and his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so I did like that, you know, the, the barbs back and forth. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, none of, them, none of them really stand out, I don't think. Sure. Yeah, they they seemed a little bit uh, standard <laughs> for the day. I mean, the performances by the ladies were good, but the way they were written, uh, you got the good sister and the bad sister, and then you know, <laughs> <laughs> there's always one. There's always that dichotomy. Well, usually there's that dichotomy. Oh, good sister and bad sister, except for the uh, the one that we watched. The was it the crawling eye? I think it was. Uh, there, both sisters were weren't horrible people, so that was good. But yeah. <laughs> I know that both of these movies were 1959. I think House on Haunted Hill came first. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it did, then the Tingler is just repeating a theme that really worked well in House on Haunted Hill. On that movie, also, uh, Vincent Price was, wor- yeah, it was, yeah, because House on Haunted Hill, I'm checking the IMDb to make sure I'm not totally bluffing this but yeah the house on haunted hill came first and 
Uh, in that movie, also, Vincent Price was at odds with his wife. It was worse at that point, even yeah. than than the Tingler, in that they were openly trying to murder one another in the movie. Um, and there was others, and there was like thoughts that there might be a killing and stuff like that. And um, I think it was in continuing that. I think the Tingler, whereas the House on Haunted Hill is just a fun old spook show. Uh, but Tingler, as we've said, has some of that, but also there's this other like Hitchcockian thing going on in the background. So I think there's a little bit more psychology mm-hmm. going on in this movie. So it's continuing that theme where he's got this wife that is just really awful. And you have to wonder, like, and, and you know, right at the beginning, you're like, okay, is she awful because she's awful or is she awful because she's buried to Vincent Price? And we do expect <laughs> that you take out an axe and murder everybody. Um, and like I said, that keeps you guessing on that as well. So you are left following her and wondering what's her deal. And then you realize, no, she's just a really bitter, cruel person uh, who's very selfish. And then you get the good girl, you know, so you get the good girl model and the and the awful person, also like in House and Haunted Hill. And then you get the victim. It's not a very sophisticated model, so I'm not going to really praise it for being forward thinking at all. Uh, I will say that it continues themes that uh, William Castle had already capitalized on mm-hmm. and that it does it with a little bit more uh, sophistication uh, and a little bit more adult flair than previously. I will also note that let's keep in mind that s- virtually all of these characters we're talking about are really matter-of-factly written out of the story, and we never hear from them in the most important parts of the movie. <laughs> the, uh, they just the kind wife, of disappear. The yeah. wife, who seems to be a real threat eventually just leaves off camera like, <laughs> yeah. almost, like, almost like she like quit at lunch one day or something <laughs> and they said oh shit. <laughs> you know and but and uh as far as the good girl and the and even and even his um a uh, protege that mm-hmm. he's working with uh we kind of lose them for the entire third act <laughs> and yeah. You know, they're not, they're just not needed. So they're kind of got, it's one of the only weaknesses of the film, really, is that we just kind of like get rid of these, like, oh, I wonder how these people are going to figure into the story. Uh, uh, okay, I guess not at all. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> you know? well, I guess, you know, what, what rumor has it that the, the Tangler creature was, you know, he was union and he had specific <laughs> clauses that he could only be in a scene with only a couple other people so they wouldn't overshadow him. He's not very tall, so he wanted to, you know, hog the camera. And supposedly the Tingler monster was just a pain to work with. So that could be why they disappeared. No, I don't know. I'm I'm talking on my ass. <laughs> uh, we we've had a bunch of sausage talk. Let's have a, a another <laughs> perspective here from uh, Tanya. Tanya, how'd you feel oh, me. Oh. with the uh, female characters written in here? Considering this is 1959. Um. Well, they do seem. Uh, like stock care, especially, you know, the sister, she definitely seems mm-hmm. like she's in there on purpose as a foil for the other characters because the other characters are so either they're dark or they're going through something or whatever. Um, and she's sort of the foil. Uh, it seems like mm-hmm. that's pretty obvious. Um, I do like the wife. I do like the wife. I like the husband and wife hate each other dynamic. And, mm-hmm. and it did seem like she was unhappy because. <laughs> Um, he was never around and always working and all that stuff. But then she also didn't seem like she was 
wanting to work things out. So there was that, <laughs> <laughs> that side of her that she was bad, you know. Um, but I thought the actress did a wonderful job. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I thought the um, the mute woman mm-hmm. did a wonderful job too, even though I felt like I felt like she was more stylized and she was maybe directed to be more expressive because she didn't have dialogue. Right. Um, but it worked for me because it did make it seem a little creepier. Um, although she's definitely a vehicle as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but for me, like the movie kind of has a lot of those kind of tropes in it. Sure. And there's, I don't know. The movie is so interesting to me because there are definitely things that are totally hokey and there are things that, that are really cool that work really well. And, it, and there's things that are just weird and different than you would expect. And it all kinds of kind of works together though. And it's entertaining. Yeah. It, it's definitely entertaining. I mean, it, it is, you know, even by today's standards, this is actually a, a lower budget monster film. Let's put it that way. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is, this is a uh, stuff that, uh, you know, what many people equate as B horror, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, there is, there's some really entertaining moments in here and, and overall it just interesting. I always enjoyed this film because of that, because it, you almost think they didn't necessarily need to do the gimmick of the tingler in this film. It almost would have been great if you never actually got a monster, if it was just implied. (laughs) I mean, after all, you know, Vincent was, you know, his doctor character's uh, tripping on LSD at one point. So, (laughs) Which which blew me away. I guess it's like the first see- time ever on film they try to uh, capture an LSD trip. <laughs> you know, the, the feeling of it. Because it caught me off at first when they said, well, they got him his medicine and it was acid. And I'm like, are they actually talking about the acid? And, and sure enough, oh, yeah, they're talking about real acid. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a great scene. And I was I totally forgotten about that until I w- sat down to watch it again for the show. I'm like, oh, my God, how could I have forgotten? This is the movie. And I just posted something on Facebook a few minutes ago as we were starting the show. I said, you know, it's like, you know, the thing about the Tingler, it has all these it has this famous gimmicks and all it, it would have had me at. See Vincent Price trip his balls off. <laughs> I would have bought tickets for a solid week. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's it's not exactly a drug you equate with the fifties. So I mean, it's late. No, 50s, that's yeah, the thing. But... It's mid fifties, and it was still kind of something that was just kind of talked about in hushes and whispers. And you know, I hear the military did experiments with this stuff. It wasn't really till like. Then, of course, it would come out with, like, you know, some of the films of, like, Herschel Gordon Lewis, like, something weird. Sure. And um, uh, the psychedelic, of course, you know, and Timothy Leary and all that stuff. Then it would really come out. But, no, it wasn't a big a big thing back then, as big of a thing, at least if I'm, you know, aware yeah. of my history, which I might not be. Uh, but the fact that they went there, I mean, it's not a very explicit scene. It just shows him freaking out. <laughs> You know, and at one point, you know, they do that little, you know, thing that they do and there's like a dream sequence in a movie over a skeleton. And I'm like, actually, that's not a bad, that's not a bad rep- visual representation either. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many people actually have, you know, any history with, you know, maybe some hell raising youth, uh, uh, youth days of their lives, but 
I every time one of these scenes pops up, I kind of like lean forward and say, "Okay, show me what you got." <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, as far as like it, it really just kind of is meant for him to kind of. It doesn't show it. It requires us to him to tell us. Yeah. What, Feeling. It doesn't show us. Well, no, because you're you only got so much budget. So you only have so much budget. <laughs> they didn't really know how to visualize it and everything like that. And you know, so you're like, so you really are. It's like you're in the room with somebody who's just like freaking out <laughs> on acid, you know. And I think anybody will tell you that if it's your first time, you don't want to do it alone, pal. Come on. <laughs> uh, yeah, and after he trips, he, he trips on the acid, and after we get the uh, the scare of the the deaf mute lady, and, and he discovers the tingler. This film suddenly turns into a completely different film, and that's where the gimmick works in, where we get a number of gimmick moments. Uh, Andrew, what'd you think about the this like third act where we? Now this is now where we start with the gimmick of seeing the tingler, and it's probably when they were buzzing the chairs and such. Uh, how'd you feel about this? Oh, I just got to mention. I uh, I don't know if anyone's ever seen my movie. Cary Grant takes LSD and sees a ghost with no pants. It's one of my favorite. <laughs> what do you say? One of my favorite movies. Yeah, that's based on real. Not to keep talking about LSD, but that's based on. I don't know if you guys know this. Cary Grant took LSD about a hundred times. Yeah, mm-hmm. starting in the late fifties, it was over the counter. I mean, not over the counter. It was like it was a prescribed as uh, by psychiatry and stuff. And so, Wasn't he doing a, involved in a study at one point? I'm not sure. I know the writer of the Tingler, um, Rob White. Um, he had um, he he went to like a lecture or read some Aldous Huxley or something like that, and uh, started experimenting with it while he was in college. Cary um, Grant. Cary Grant was actually. Uh, from what I read anyway, seemed quite supportive of the idea of uh, LSD for therapeutic purposes. Oh, he was definitely a big proponent. That's why I made that movie. You know? <laughs> I just was like, what was he like when he was tripping? What was Cary Grant like? That's awesome. <laughs> just, you know, just anyway. Um, so the, uh, can I tell, can I tell yeah. you, my, my grandfather uh, worked for American Theater Supply and he retired from there. Uh, he started doing out of, out of the Signal Corps after World War II, and he was a, a projectionist and technician by trade. He would install movie projectors and maintain them. So when the Tingler came to the Southeast, he was part of the team wiring the seats. He was in charge of doing wow. that. So um, Columbia Pictures out on like the West Coast and theaters around there, they sent people like special effects people from Paramount, who like that, all that. But once you got to like East Coast, in particular areas like this, as the movie rolled out later and later, um, they had an instructions sheet that it, that would come with the box. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if you guys think it's boring or not, but I could totally tell you, I saw the sheet. Like he, wow. he still had it. And I wish the fuck that I had it. But when I was a kid, Ooh. we watched me and my dad, we watched a tingling. He's like, now nah, I got something really cool to tell you. And uh, my grandfather, they just lived up the street. He was like, you know, he got me, he sat me down and told me how he did this stuff. It was rad as hell. And inside the book, I'm not shitting you. There was the moment cues where either the person in the projection booth or like somebody like behind, like, you know what I'm saying? Like behind the stage or behind the screen was supposed to fire at exact moments. Like the thing told you exactly when to do it. I kind of wondered about that. Wow. Yeah, they, they did. And, um, Glenn, you've seen it with the thing. So you, you knew when they would do it. But, um, what he said was when they were testing it out, like earlier in the day, they were fucking with people on some like Audrey Hepburn drama. <laughs> 
<laughs> he's like, yeah, we would just press it just to mess with him in the middle early in the day because we wanted to make sure it worked. <laughs> so some movie about a nun or something. Just oh my gosh. <laughs> Isn't that that's, great? That's awesome. But yeah, it's you know, it's it's pretty obvious like when um when they do it in the movie, it's supposed to be, you know, like when the when um when the lights go out, right? Yeah. They just start hitting it. And it was like I don't know, we said it was like um like a, maybe a hundred seats or something like that. So not every single seat would have it. And if you didn't get buzz, a lot of time uh people would go back, buy another ticket, so they just so they could do it. You know? <laughs> Like they That's were really awesome. like yeah they were really like into it like that but it was maybe like a 12 volt some mm-hmm. of them were more some of them were like a 20 20 something i can't remember <laughs> but yeah it was literally just a little little box and they all were wired to a control and you would just they would just start hitting them seats during when you know they're like the lights are out yeah you know in the theater and then you're like talking about scream or whatever they did that and there was one other and i can't remember but i want to say it's when the wife's body was set up they would do it there too uh-huh but wow. I'm not sure. That's what the thing that's fucked is. There's no audio commentary on Tingler. Really? Anywhere? No. 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 And it would like you really like David Skull or somebody needs to get on it, you know, or Tim Lucas or somebody like that, because like that's you. I mean, you know, I'm going off a of memory from when I'm like ten, telling <laughs> you this shit. <laughs> I was. Just, I just remember when my grandpa died. I got like some of his personal effects, and I remember thinking like, my hope. And like his union cards are in there, a lot of stuff about movie projection and things that he'd saved are in there. But the Tingler thing wasn't there. I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> uh, but again, this, this was around the time what the rise of TV uh, was around this time, and they were trying to get people into theaters, I think, as well for gimmicks, weren't they? At this, oh time? sure, oh sure. Uh, that's what that's what a lot of these things were. Give them something they can't get at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to use the old, you know, strip club, you know, motto. Um, <laughs> and, uh, the, and so that's why, and, you know, if you were a major motion picture, you made a studio you, uh, with a, like an unlimited budget, you made around the world in 80 days, which is boring as shit. But you know what? <laughs> Where else are you going to see flamenco dancers and everything? Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, if, uh, if, and if you are exploitation, well, then it, this is your arena. And if you are a great showman, you will give them something they can't get. Didn't they also have a thing where they were also, uh, it was kind of similar to um, uh, the stories you hear where they would actually like hire people to be in the audience to run up and down the aisles and say, oh my God, it's on me and stuff like that. Yeah, they used to have somewhere. ringers. Yeah, I, I read somewhere that they used to do ringers. Where people used to be uh, hired to to do that. Oh yeah, they, there was fantastic. plants in the audience. The ladies would faint and shit. Yeah, 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 definitely. And they had nurses outside, you know, and all kind of stuff. Yeah, get, someone get the gurney. They put the lights. They stopped the films so they could get the gurney, so someone could get lead. Yeah, yeah, uh, it was just know, like a that... progression of that stuff because like Macabre had the fright break, and and or you know, and then um uh. You know, there was there was other ones too. Didn't uh, House on Hill have the Illusiono with the Illusiono with the skeleton coming out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dad said that he see my, that was what was rad. Is Dad would tell me all stories about that that kind of stuff, and you know, I was like, 
He's like, it's because the movies weren't scary. <laughs> <So they laughs> well, that's the thing. Well, that's the thing is that you would expect that. You know what? You would expect that. And I'm sure there's a lot of there's some movies where you could say that about. But the thing that always strikes me about William Castle's movies is none of us get to see that unless you're lucky enough like Glenn was where he got to see that thing recreated. Yeah. Uh, a lot of us are stuck at home watching this stuff. Well, and uh, we don't get to experience this. But the films – they still hold up on their own. Now, you would expect them to be like, just like, if a film is terrible, but then, but then all of a sudden, this guy's telling you the stories, like, you know, they, they'll forget if the film was terrible as they tell their friend, dude, this film that I saw, they had to take this woman out on a gurney halfway through the movie. <laughs> because th- I think she died, you know? And, you know, and, you know, I mean, that's going to, like, you're like, holy shit, I have to see this then. Totally equating the fact that maybe the the 45 minutes leading up to that was boring, is as boring mm-hmm. as around the world in 80 days. But, <laughs> you know, the, but, you know, if, um, but his films, you watch them, yeah, they're kind they're cheap and, you know, they're, you know, they're gimmicky and they still hold up. They yeah. all, every, I, every single one I've seen, and I've seen a few. Uh, like I said, there's still a few that I haven't seen, but I've seen probably about, you know, seven or eight of them. And they all still hold up today without any gimmicks, um, but I'm sure they would be play even better with the gimmicks. I don't, I, mean, I don't think that Tingler was... Tony, what do you think about that puppet, man? I mean, sometimes it looked like it was working okay, right? Like, the, it looked like the legs might have accidentally got moved by the carpet and shit. Well, you know, the first time I, I saw it, I didn't notice what I noticed this time was how you can see the strings and things like that. I didn't notice that the first time I saw it. Um, I mean, the shape of it's a little (laughs) sausagey, but, (laughs) but you know, and then the way it kind of like the heartbeat thing, but I thought that was, I thought it was cool with the audio. Yeah. They had the heartbeat thing. And and I actually Mm -hmm. liked that, how they brought that back whenever the tingler, you know, it's kind of like the, the, um, theme music for the tingler was that like heartbeat and i thought that was cool yeah it was cool and and vincent knows how to work a puppet so it makes it look like he's attacking him that that attack on his arm it's just (laughs) like he's selling that man oh yeah (laughs) yeah no they the movie works because the uh the the people making it even though they know it's ridiculous they sell the shit out of it Mm -hmm. you know well, like that scene where he's sleeping and the thing crawls up on his chest and it's choking him and he's making just enough noise to where, you know, you could tell it's, it's, it's crushing his throat. I'm like, that's actually a bit of a creepy scene. You're just like, yeah, but how did he get out of the box though? Who did that? Huh? Well, yeah, that was his wife, of course. You know, she killed herself in real life. Patricia. Oh, did she really? I did. I did see that where she died young, but I did not see how. Well, I mean, I might be wrong. I don't know. No, like, I'll, I'll look it up right now. One no, of them, I, I one of them killed died. herself. I know that she died. I know she died in her forties, so it's probably her. God, I'll check it out. Said that in the. I should have put it in the chat. That's a real downer there. Sorry. Uh, that's <laughs> <laughs> hey, now we're gonna go to our panel's questions. <laughs> oh, I got a good one. P.S. Uh, so, uh, well, first we'll lead with with Glenn. Uh, Glenn, do you have a topic or, or, or something that you wanted to talk to the group about? We haven't touched yet. Um, not really. Okay. We covered pretty much everything that I care to discuss about this. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Andrew, 
We'll go to you. What what what's the question or topic that you wanted to bring to the group? Tonight? Okay, if you had to pick one orifice, no, I'm just playing. That's not what I want. <laughs> All right, this just is gonna have to do a little thinking about this. About okay. this. So they don't do gimmicks in movies no more. They don't really. I mean, you know, it's not a thing anymore. But you got to pick. Everybody's got to pick one best picture winner they can think of and come up with a gimmick for it. Oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. Wow. Wow, yep. that's tough. Oh, I've got one. Okay, so, go Tanya. Uh, go Tanya. You're so such sh- a badass. So you're watching the, the Shawshank Redemption, and you're stuck, <laughs> you're stuck in the theater. I'm sorry. You just and go. You have to figure out how to get how to break out. So you have to actually slowly chisel your way through the walls of the theater in order to, to leave at the end. That's great. That's awesome. Shawshank. I love how quick you came up with that too. I know, right? I, I think like, that she, I think that she actually had that like stored in her brain beforehand. I that's texted like, her earlier so she would be ready. It's like it's like it's, it's like you know for years, like ever like ever since she saw the movie, I mean, I mean, it would make this perfect. It comes full circle. It, it would be great, free, if, but I had to pay to get out. It would be great if they bricked the entrances to Shawshank once everybody was in, and then they'd have to dig their way out. Yeah! <laughs> oh, Tanya, that reveals so much about you now. I, yeah, now, now we know. There you go, folks. Don't go see Shawshank Redemption with Tanya, or have her over to your house to watch Shawshank. You'll never get out. She'll be like, oh, don't mind me. I just brought some bricks and mortar with me. No, no, go ahead and enjoy the movie. Really. <laughs> This is becoming a lot more Edgar Allan Poe than Stephen King. <laughs> Scotty D, do you got one? Uh, only thing I can think of is if they did a if if uh, William Castle had produced The Shape of Water, I'm sure that he would have had something where he would have you know being the 50s and there wasn't any kind of you know sexual assault claims that could be filed and taken seriously i'm sure he would have filed, put some ringers in the audience and would have had the threat of a actual fish van coming out and carrying off the women of the audience halfway through the film <laughs> i can totally see that happening if it were marketed in the 50s anytime after that probably no <laughs> but if it were actually marketed in the same era that the film took place Sure. <laughs> nice. I don't know. I mean, I think it would have been cool if No Country for Old Men, they just would randomly uh, take a bolt gun to someone in the crowd each, each time they showed it. <laughs> just, just a guy walks down the aisle with the hydraulic cow killer, just, uh, you, boom. Ow. Uh, just, just walk, actually, you wouldn't have to kill him. Just walk up to someone and go. Just have have a guy dress like that with the thing. Just saying, call it. <laughs> <laughs> and it obviously has to be after the movie, but it would just be great if somebody just sitting there watching the credits. And the dude just walks up with the bolt gun and be like, call it. They'd be like, what? <laughs> It'd be just like that shop here. What? What are we? What are we flipping for? Just call it. <laughs> nice Andrew what was your idea oh you know I thought that was a pretty classy by the way for Shape of Water I would have just been said like you know get free popcorn fuck this fish <laughs> 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 
I think I think you mine. Thought the, you thought the Faith No More video <laughs> caused some uh, PETA complaints? <laughs> no, I I actually I think um for Crash there would be a Curia Racism booth where they push you down the stairs. Oh Jesus! <laughs> wow. <laughs> nice. Wow. Um. Let's see. For me, uh, oh, you know what? I I think uh, what you do is you you. Uh, during Silence of the Lambs, you randomly hand people bottles of lotion, and then at some point you have a guy in just a robe walk down the aisle with a basket and a flashlight, and he flashes it on people, gives them the basket, and goes, it puts the lotion in the basket, or it gets the hose. I'm sorry. But I would uh, keep it because I want some hose. <laughs> <laughs> and then he pulls out a water gun and sprays you in the face if you don't give it to him. So, yeah. But, okay, I'm dark like that. Yeah. Okay. I just, I, just, I, I'm just wondering what they would do for the multiple mix scene. <laughs> I mean, what do they throw at the screen, and what does the screen throw back? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. hey, say I could smell your hot butter. <laughs> I myself cannot. <laughs> you get you get some of that ooze you used to have in the eighties for kids for kids toys and, and you throw that never mind. Yeah, just use oh. the, just take out the jalapenos and use the cheese. There or you leave go. it in depending. I mean no judgment. <laughs> that was oh, my question. There you go. Wonderfully. That was great. Scotty D, how about you? You got a question or topic we haven't touched on yet? Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I wish I did, but I really oh, didn't. Okay. I did not really. Let me t- check my notes, see if I can BS something from this. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a deep film. Let's face it. We talked here a, a lot about the film tonight. And it, for me, I, I was happy that it got enough votes and it came from the 50s. So I, I do want to point out one thing that I thought was strange because I think there are certain things. And looking at these movies later, you don't know if it's a flaw in the actual cheap plotting of the movie. Uh, because let's face it, they did not put as much thought into exploitation films as much as in the story department always as they did the A pictures. Not always. Sometimes they did, sometimes they did not. Uh, but then also there's the uh, idea that we are also now, uh, 60 years removed from when this movie was made. And we don't know how differently they uh, conducted themselves. I mentioned in the beginning how he seems to handle all the autopsies. It's totally fine. Uh, Mark mentioned how it seems to be totally fine for him to just go ahead and have somebody in the room. Oh, your relative? Fine. (laughs) Another thing is that... Okay, let's talk about respect that some people get. No one really gives a shit that the wife died. <laughs> her body gets passed around. Her body, that's the thing is that, like, okay, what kind of practice is this where, no, I put the body in the car and I drove her over here. She's dead. Okay, I guess I'll just take her home. And in That was the before morning, OSHA. <laughs> and in the morning, I'm going to take her to the operative part. I'm like, what, wait, how, and just Carter from scene to scene? I mean, what? Did this happen, or was this just, or is this just bad writing? <laughs> I mean, I, I know about that too. Yeah. I mean, I know that he doesn't actually do it, but I mean, like that was that's probably probably my scene. Like, uh, you know, let's let's play a game. 
fifties were bad writing <laughs> because they are not only are they like really willy nilly about the wife dying, you know, he says, well, I could have been a better husband. Nothing I can do about it now. And my favorite is, is Vincent Price's wife. Uh, I'm sorry, your wife, she's dead. Oh, oh. anyway, I'm going to bed. <laughs> She's like, yeah, sorry about your wife again. Or something like that. <laughs> I'm like, how could you even sleep in the same house? What the hell? I would be freaked out. But like, like somebody just brought a corpse over, and um, <laughs> and then of course she's getting carted back and forth, or at least she's supposed to be. In fact, the fact that she's not being carted back and forth to more locations is a cause of great concern in the film. <laughs> so I, that would, I guess, that would be my only question. I don't know if there is even an answer for it if it can even be opened up but that would be my thing 50s or bad writing (laughs) writing. i know uh glenn is it 50s or bad writing that they just nonchalantly handle this dead body like you know like it's a piece of luggage i think the answer to that is yes and yes (laughs) (laughs) i think we'd all agree with that yeah Yeah, a little bit of both, possibly. <laughs> I mean, they, it was a different time, you know, the 50s. So. <laughs> Although I will admit this is the first monster film I think we've watched out of our series that uh, didn't have any nuclear radiation involved. So there's a plus there. <laughs> you know, the damn nukes. Uh, so, Tanya, how about you? Did you have any topic or something that you maybe wanted to bring to discussion? Well, I did. We kind of touched on it a little bit. I was going to ask you guys um, what, because I feel like while watching it, um, I feel like I definitely miss some of the gimmick. Like I want to have that, Um, especially when, you know, when we go to the last third and they're in the theater and it just seems so cool, you know, that, oh, I could be there with the seats buzzing, people screaming, all these people interacting and then the lights go down, but I'm sitting here in front of my TV in the living room, you know, with my lights on (laughs) and experiencing that and just, um, you know, wondered what, what you guys think that we would like, do you think the film lacks because we're missing that experience? And maybe, I don't know, Glenn, if you've seen it also not at the theater, if the, if you can like talk to that, like what the, how the experience was different, if how much it's lacking. Um, Oh, it, it lacks a lot. From, from seeing the theater. I mean, and it's partly because everyone who was at the theater knew, you know, kind of what was going on, but just uh-huh. it's, it's that group mentality of seeing this. Cause then, you know, it's, it's uh you're just watching all of a sudden someone just, you know, kind of somewhere in the theater just goes, Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it just, because it's coming not from where you're expecting to hear noises from it, it kind of keeps you a little bit more on edge the whole time. Because you never know who's who in the audience is also can just gonna like make some kind of weird noise and stuff like that. So uh, it definitely was. Uh, it's so much better uh, in the theater with with that experience. Yeah, because I feel like it it would have been a sort of interactive spirit experience where you feel like you're kind of in the story for a moment, and I feel like you just can't get that, you know, in your living room. No, I mean, I, I suppose you could, you know, well. You're married. I'm saying you could watch it with your husband, and each of you could have a little like joy buzzer thing, and just every now and then just swat the other person. Do it on our own. Well, well, just every now and then you're watching the movie. Your husband just all of a sudden just. 
little little tingler device. You know, they <laughs> they have certain remote control device anyway. Uh, <laughs> it's a different tingle. Let's see. Uh, that's a different movie. That's a different movie. You can still use the remote control, kind of like the tingler, <laughs> in, in as the gimmick. It's just a different type of movie. <laughs> Suddenly, suddenly, deep throat is in spectral. No, uh, <laughs> whoa! And they covered that in Kentucky Fried Movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, where this is shown in Feel Around. <laughs> <laughs> At random times during the theater viewing, someone may be grabbing you. Do not be afraid. Sarah. Uh, uh, what is her name? Sharon Sharon Mitchell actually did that to a guy in a porno theater once that was showing one of her movies, and I think the guy died. <laughs> <laughs> True story. <laughs> wow. Uh, Scott, I love your warehouse of knowledge. How did he, how did he, di- how did he, how did he die? Happy, apparently. apparently. <laughs> oh, wow. And on that note, we will put an end to the French tickler for tonight. I mean, tingler. Uh, so uh, now, really quick, as we've done with our other It Came From The 50s, I want to get from our panel. Uh, it could be anything now, but one thing that the tingler taught you uh, from the 50s, and we will start with Tanya. What would you say one thing the tingler taught you about the 50s or just taught you in general uh, it's dangerous to drink oh there you go yeah don't just pick up your random mortician and take them home for a beer uh you never know what might happen uh, nice scotty d how about you uh if you decide to take the corpse of your uh, wife with you wherever you go you can totally get into the carpool lane <laughs> <laughs> wow Andrew, how about you? Oh, man. Well, I learned that uh, if you cut your hand on a on a saucer, the blood uh, immediately looks like it was there for like the last 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, and Glenn, how about you? I learned that just because your wife uh, doesn't have a voice and can't nag you, that doesn't mean you still don't want to kill her. <laughs> Nice. Apparently, <laughs> and uh, and I learned that even though it's 1959, it's an old movie. As the young kids would say, they still knew how to drop some sick burns. Uh, <laughs> the scenes you have to watch alone with Vincent Price and his wife are just so much fun for that banter. My favorite, one of my favorite, I made it, I wrote a note on it because it just stood out was, and it, it rolls so naturally is I think she's pouring a drink or whatnot. And, uh, she goes, there's a word for you. And he just immediately retorts. There are several, several right. words for you. <laughs> and it's just the way they say it. I just like, Oh, damn. <laughs> Dude, if you like that banter, man, there's one he did called uh, Comedy of Terrors. Yeah, I know Comedy of Terrors, yeah. Oh, that one's fucking really funny. Oh, yeah. Really funny. There's just constant back and forth with those characters. And it it makes you wonder, like, you know, a few of those banter scenes, (laughs) how much of that was written and how much of it was them riffing off each other? (laughs) Because some of that just seemed so natural, but uh, that's just how talented those they were, especially Vincent Price, who who we love, and I'll watch Vincent and everything, 
and anything. So, and now I got to look up the recipes read by Vincent Price because that sounds just <laughs> awesome. There's a great, you know, they had this wonderful thing where they basically, it, it was this, they had uh, a couple recipes on it uh, that were very serious. And then they had two joke tracks on it. Uh-huh. One was remixing basically his instructions and having him basically they manipulate it to have Vincent Price singing a song about pork, which of course <laughs> taking the other meanings of the word makes that song really funny. Um, it's like pork, 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 pork. <laughs> it's Vincent Price. Um, and then there's another one I think where keep in mind these were often, uh, regardless of them being cooking things, Vincent Price was often uh, a figure that appealed to children, young kid, kids that were going to the theater. So another one, they had like a recipe that was they recut it and it says how to make how to cook young boys or something like oh, that. Geez. Because young boys were actually the audience for horror films back then, or right. at least they were perceived to be. So yeah, there's like so there's like four tracks, two that are serious and two that aren't. But uh, Vincent Price was a damn serious cook. Uh, and, so, and they and they basically used that to kind of inter. Uh, it, it, they kind of like blended both of the appeals that he had, uh, both as sure. a uh, a classy cook and a you know a a, a iconic uh, actor, basically. Yeah. Well, just uh, I hope you guys don't mind. I just want to share the quip, uh, a little anecdote with Vincent Price that I learned. My wife got me the Thriller 25th Anniversary Edition CD. And what's really cool about it is you get these interviews with Quincy Jones and that. Well, they talk about getting Vincent Price for Thriller. And apparently the speech, the guy who was supposed to write it, didn't write it till that morning while Vincent was on his way to the studio. And apparently was literally off of the press and into the next room and handed to Vincent. But they've got a recording of the original take of Vincent Price recording his dialogue for thriller and he only had to do two takes and he's never done anything like this before but i'm sitting there thinking this is vincent price he came in they said he did two takes the second take was great they left that was that was it but (laughs) what's great about this recording and why i bring it up is at one point they got him singing through the whole dialogue plus the one verse they didn't actually use in the song uh but it's vincent so i'm just listening and at the very end all of a sudden he goes can you dig it? And I'm just like, <laughs> oh my god, that's awesome! <laughs> I'm like, I'm like did, did he just do that? So I listened to the track again. I'm like, oh my god, that's awesome! <laughs> you gotta turn it up really loud, but the very tail, he's like, bitch, better have my money. <laughs> you know, I would just want that as on my phone. I don't even know what for. Just like every time someone sends me a message, can you? Dig? I would love that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's it's awesome. It was like the best thing I you know, I like the music anyway from Michael J, but this just added I'm like, oh my god, a recording of Vincent and him <laughs> saying that. This is just awesome. Uh, but yeah, apparently it was only two takes and he was gone and the take you got was the, the second take. Uh but he had never talked over he hadn't really rehearsed much. He's never really talked over a song like that before, but they told him, Well, here's how much time you have to say this amount of dialogue. And he's like, okay. <laughs> well, you know, he can't, I mean, there's really not 
I mean, if he hadn't done anything like that before, there's not really much other stuff that he hadn't done. He's done, he did movies, he did TV back when it was live. So he had to deal with that. He did, he's done theater, he did radio. I'm sure it was very similar to radio in some regards. Sure. So, uh, there's really that cat, man. I have such respect for, uh, the icon, the, especially the genre icons that pass uh, years ago, uh, uh, Forrest Karloff and uh, Vincent Price and everybody like that. I have such high regard for them. And if you look in their background, maybe they were best known for one thing. But if you look, really look at them, they were kind of great at everything. <laughs> and it's really amazing. And you can, if you look closely enough, you can see how they were we were able to bring that talent for everything into that one thing they became known for. So uh, Vincent Price is a, definitely a class act in that regard. Yes, he is. And uh, that's why we love him. We could talk on forever, but I think we will wrap it up for tonight uh, about Vincent Price and the Tingler. Hope you've enjoyed our discussion and hope you seek this film out. Now here is the point of the show where these fine folks can shill the hell out of themselves and you can find out where they are when they're not here. And we'll start with Glenn. Go, Glenn. You can find me on the internet with the Bumi Bunker, Guide to Bunker Productions, both on YouTube and on Facebook. I am more active right now with my gaming podcast, which is the Adventure Party, which I do with the amazing Brad Ludwig. You can find us on GNCast.com with the Adventure Party or just follow me on Twitter at Guy in a Bunker. Awesome. Fantastic. And Mr. Gonzarific, please drop some info. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, my friends and I here in Athens, Georgia, make movies under the banner of, banner of Gonzarific. You can watch our stuff on Amazon Prime, Amazon.com slash V, as in vagina, slash Gonzarific, G-O-N-Z-O-R-I-F-F-I-C. And uh, on Vincent Price's birthday, just this past Memorial Day weekend, we filmed a little movie called Vincent Price's Skull. And it's nice. got a bikini car wash in it. Uh, it's got uh, Vincent Price's cookbook actually figures into the plot, uh, one of his actual recipes. Um, and then we had a local theater actor, uh, D, made him up to look like Vincent Price. And I enjoyed writing dialogue for our Vincent Price. It's pretty good. Oh, and there's a bikini uh, roller skating on a half, on a, a half pipe also. It's got nice. some cool stuff in it. Sounds like a lot of fun. Look forward to that soon, folks. And Scotty D, you still got some stuff out there? Eventually, yeah. I, I think so, somewhere, maybe. Uh, I haven't done anything in a while. I really want to do it again. I've had a lot of uh, stuff with the move, and then I had some health things. But I'm hoping to eventually get back. In the meantime, uh, whether I do or I don't, uh, please check out my old writings at moviocrity.com. Uh, actually, you can also check out some writings at old uh, at filmgeekcentral.wordpress.com. I never pimped that, and I should, so there it is. And yeah. also, you can check out my web series, Moviocrity, at vimeo.com slash channel slash Moviocrity. Fantastic. And Tanya, I know you got something you want to share with our audience. Please, <laughs> yes! please, please, please share with our audience uh, what where they could find your stuff right now. Um, well, I... My movie just came out, Monos Returns, is the follow-up film to Monos the Hands of Fate, and uh, 50 years later, and um, it's screening around. You can find out information just by looking up Monos Returns, and you can find our website. We're online all over the place, and um, if you want information on me, just look up Tanya Atomic, T-O-N-J-I-A, 
And my website's down right now. It's being redone, but I'm on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. So, um, so yeah. Fantastic. Well, we thank you that you could uh, take time on your busy schedule to join us tonight in the spoiler room. It's great to have you back, Tanya. Uh, great to have all my panel here tonight is a fun discussion. This was a lot of fun. I hope you folks enjoyed our discussion here on this old classic <laughs> B film, uh, which uh, may be a lot better than you might expect. So now uh, everybody, the tingler. Oh no, he's, uh, he's coming through your device. He's going to attack you. We all must now scream. So scream folks, scream. Otherwise the tingler will get you. I killed it. <laughs> oh, wrong kidding. Dude. <laughs> hey, all my friends out there looking for more spoiler room goodness? Then why don't you check out our brand new Patreon page, patreon.com slash specialmarkproductions, where you can get access to exclusive spoiler room episodes and a whole lot more. You can also find us on Facebook groups, SMPRD and on to Twitter at Special Mark Pro. Let your voice be heard and let us know what you would like to see in the spoiler room as well as just how we're doing in general. We appreciate your support and remember in the spoiler room the conversation is fresh but we do spoil the movies.